Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. I invite you to turn uh, in scripture with me to the letter of Paul to the Romans, chapter 12. I was to uh, preach here in December and then we got snowed out. And then when I was contacted this week because of uh, the illness in uh, Pastor Steve's family, I said, it's a little late to come up with something new on the book of Acts. So I'll just uh, do what I plan to do on December 26, because at least that one was sort of half prepared. So that's what I'm going to do today. Uh, beginning in Romans chapter 12 at verse 9, and then we'll take a look also at a question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, is a whole series, over 20 commandments that we should consider. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low esteem, position. Do not think you are superior. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live with peace, at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I would like to spend a few a little focus on verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then question and answer 126 of the Heidelberg Catechism. I'll read uh, the question, and I would ask if you would answer with a response. What does the fifth request mean? How are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? 
is 23 days in since New Year's Eve. Are you glowing with achievement? Are you frustrated with your lack of progress? Have you thrown in the towel? How are you doing, seriously? Of course, you know, when you think about achievement, when you think about goals, when you think about skills, when you think about accomplishing, you think about grit. Notice in the catechism, just as we are fully determined to forgive. Have you ever been fully determined to do something and failed? Fully determined to go on a diet tomorrow? Fully determined to lose your debt and failed? In 2008, there was a book written, it's called The Outliers. And that book says, or taught, or summarized, that successful people are not born. Successful people are made. Successful people are people who are determined to become skilled at something. And then they studied those they de determined to be successful people. And they discovered that it takes about 10,000 hours of skill development under supervision. In other words, you can have lousy skills, or you can have good skills, but good skills come because there's a coach. There's someone who, with, like Lena at the piano, says, well, you have to learn to do the scales properly. Because if you don't do the scales properly, you won't be able to play some of the more complicated music that comes down the way. Amen. So you need skills, but you need to have proper coaching proper guidance. That's why I think it is so important for us to engage in Bible study together so that there can be correctives. There can be, perhaps you should look at it in a different way. 10,000 hours. That's 4.8 years of full-time work to learn to do something well. How are you doing in your walk with Jesus? How are you doing with that whole list of commandments that Paul gives in Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9? You'll look at the whole book of Romans and recognize that it has a structure. It's a structure on which the catechism is built. The opening chapters deal with the reality of our sin. In chapter 1, verse 18, it says that man, humanity, in their ignorance, has suppressed the truth. We don't like hearing things about ourselves that challenge us, that cause us to say, I need to change, I need to repent, I need to be determined to do some things differently. We'd much rather do easy street. But Paul is relentless. He says that we are by our very nature prone to hate God and our neighbor. 
Then the following chapters deal with the, the advent of Jesus and the application and the unfolding of salvation. The fact that Jesus took our place upon the cross, that he died for us, that he made atonement for our sins. And then at the end of chapter 11, there is this wonderful doxology that from God and to God and through God, to God alone be the glory because of the great things he has done for us in Jesus Christ. Having been saved from our sin, Paul now comes to the concluding part of Romans, and he has a word at chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, therefore, because of all that has happened, your awareness of your sin, the, the coming of Jesus Christ to provide salvation for us, therefore now present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Unfold that for a moment in your own mind. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Well, it means to be fully surrendered. In, in the words of some games, it is all in. You hold nothing back. You give all that you have for the glory of God and for the coming of his kingdom. The Calvin uh, January series is on right now. You can stream it on, on, your, uh, on your apps and on your computers. N.T. Wright, who uh, I notice in your church library, you have a lot of books by N.T. Wright in your library, highly to be recommended. He was a, he's a, was a bishop in the Anglican church. He is a scholar who writes many books today, and he, he broadcast a talk to the Calvin series this past Friday. And in that talk, he made a point that he makes again and again and again. He says, very often people come to believe in Jesus because they want a ticket to get to heaven when they die. He says, and that's not the point. You come to salvation in Jesus because heaven will come to earth and this is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come, but you already are a new creation in Jesus Christ. He quotes Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He says the point is, that Jesus is ruling through your life and bringing his kingdom to expression here on this earth. Your will be done on earth as it is being done in heaven. And that is where we ought to dedicate our energies. That is why we are called to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Well, what does that mean? Well, notice all the commandments in chapter 12, verse 9 and following, about being hospitable, uh, about being kind and merciful and generous and supportive. And then as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with all. What does it mean to forgive our sins or to forgive our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us? What does that mean? Except that we let go and that we live out this new life in Jesus Christ with a readiness to remember what he did for us on the cross.
It was my sin that nailed him there. And yet, we are often so reluctant to forgive. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Why are we so reluctant to forgive? Well, because forgiveness is hard. When you have been hurt so incredibly deeply that you feel that you are shamed, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says, I did wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. I'm just a mistake. Why is it so hard to forgive? Because when you have been deeply and profoundly hurt, a debt has been registered against your name. Someone now owes you something. Our news is filled with stories about people going to trial for a whole variety of different things. One of the bigger trials in the recent past was the trial of Harvey Weinstein, and you know he was found guilty of sexually assault, sexual assault and abuse, and he is now imprisoned. The New York Times had an article which began with this question, do we need to forgive the men who assault us? Do we need to forgive? the men who assault us. And the article deals with the trauma and the pain and the hurt that comes. And one of the victims of Harvey Weinstein was quoted to say, I will forgive, but only if there is profound repentance and only if there is restitution, both public and private. That's playing out also now in the whole drama with Prince Andrew. And one of the accusers saying, well, if there is a settlement, we still want something to go public. We don't want to keep it private. That's the attitude, it seems, in our culture today. An attitude, as understandable as it is, of vindictiveness. Why is it so hard to forgive? Corey Ten Boom, in one of her books, I think brings it into focus. She, in 1947, for those of you who don't know, Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch writer. She's passed on now. In the Second World War, she and her sister Betsy were uh, interned in the concentration camp in Ravensburg. And um, her sister died there. Corey survived, went out on to have a ministry post-Second World War, and wrote some books, including The Hiding Place. In 1947, she speaks in Germany about, and we just sang about it, she says that, you know, we confess our sins, she said, and God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And then she writes this. When I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next the blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overlight headlights, 
the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now he stood in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among the thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day been forgiven and could not, Betsy, who had died in that place, could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives as a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will our Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it was not only a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I, I had had a home in Holland for the victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies, and this is a really important point, those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I still stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joint hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. 
For a long time, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Forgiveness, when it is sincere, when it strives to have us live at peace with each other, is hard work. We need to work at it all the time. Peter comes to Jesus in one of, the, one of those moments where that reveals his character a bit. How many times do I have to forgive someone for hurting me, for shaming me, for making me feel guilty? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times, seven times, 490 times if you do the math. And if you do something 490 times in a row, it sort of becomes habitual. It becomes a practice of the heart. But it is still hard. And so how do we overcome? Well, we need to be determined. That's what the catechism teaches. To forgive our sins requires that we are to be determined to reflect the love of God for us because we need to remember, we need always to remember, it was our sin that nailed him there. Just because someone has hurt you, you need also to remember that you have offended God. And that he comes to you in mercy and grace and forgives and now expects you to forgive. But why is that so hard? Because it requires us to swallow our pride. It requires us to, to, to let go of the idea, yes, I have been offended. And the fact is, you have been offended. But you need to engage in a transactional uh, relationship. Paul says that you need to hand it over to God. Because God, and again we sang about it, that justice and mercy embrace. God brings his mercy, but his brings his justice as well. And the fact is, God knows much better than you and I the exact nature and the drive of that which hurt you, made you feel shame. And God will bring, in his own time, in his own way, it all out into understanding and awareness. And I'll get to it in a moment, but... It also involves us coming to as much understanding and awareness as we can possibly come. But we need, we need also then to discipline ourselves to have language that builds bridges rather than builds barriers. I was one time involved in a counseling situation with a couple who'd been married for a considerable number of years, but who hadn't gotten along well in recent years. And I, I said to them, you, you keep on throwing bricks at each other. You spend too much. You drink too much. You sleep in too long. You never vacuum the house. You never wash the car. You never, and it just went on and on and on and on. All these bricks that they were heaving to each other. I said, you are using these bricks and you are building a wall between each other. Why don't you change what you do with those bricks? 
rather than put each other down and build a wall, why don't you use those bricks to build a bridge, to come to each other, to understand each other? Louis Smeads, in a book, I checked in your library, it's not there. Uh, it's, it's a book he wrote in the 1980s. It's called Forgive and Forget, with the subtitle, Healing the Hurts We Do Not Deserve. I have owned that book three times. Every time I owned it, I lent it out to someone to read, and I've never gotten it back. So if you have an extra copy, I'd love to have it again. But he opens, he opens that book with a little parable about two people in northern Holland, in Friesland. And for those of you who come from there, as I do, you know that we could be a bit stubborn. There's Fauke and Hilda. Fauke was a very righteous man. He had a long, thin nose that dripped righteousness. Hilda wanted to be embraced. She didn't find it with him, so she found it with someone else, and he discovered it, but he was too righteous to divorce her. But he lived with her into separation in the home. It's a powerful parable story. Every time he had a negative thought, remember this is a story, it's a symbol. Every time he had a negative thought, an angel came and dropped a pebble in his heart. And over a period of time, he began to walk like this. Because his heart was heavy. And then the angel comes to him, and the angel challenges him. And he says, yeah, but, but, but she was wrong. And he says, yeah, she was. But listen to her. Understand her. You don't have to approve of what she did. But forgive her. And every time you do that, I will lift a pebble out of your heart. See, it's not instantaneous. It's a process. It is hard work. Swallowing your pride is hard work. And he began to do that, and the angel lifted this pebble, and he started to walk upright again, and they embraced each other. And this is how Smeeds ends the, the, that parable. I memorized the line. And together they entered into their second season of humble joy. Together they entered into their second season of humble joy. We assault and hurt each other. And then when people get angry at us, very often we do something that makes the situation worse. We look at the offended person and say, you're much too sensitive. Now you make, my, I make my problem that person's problem. You're too sensitive. You should just ignore what I said but you cannot just ignore because there is a debt. And if someone owes you money, do you want it back? Of course. Or else you're going to have a transaction that says, 
Forget it. It's forgiven. You don't owe me that anymore. Let's move on together into our second season of humble joy. I have discovered that over the years, if you can illustrate something, if you can explain something to people, if you can help them see it rather than just hear it, then it sticks into their mind. So I have this picture of, uh, and Eunice, can I have this, uh, this picture of a four-leaf clover. In the Irish uh, context, it's considered a symbol of good luck. But I don't want to use it as a symbol of good luck. I want to use it as a prop by which to have you remember the process that you can, if you are fully determined, follow to understand how it is that you can be forgiving rather than to live with unforgiveness. Rather than to nurture hurt and hate and abuse. Because some people have been terribly, terribly, terribly abused spiritually. Psychologically, physically, emotionally, sexually, terrible abuse has happened. And we can't just simply close our eyes to it. We need to deal with it. But we also need to trust that God is part of the equation and that he will bring out the whole truth in the end. At the root, next slide, Eunice. At the root, I think... It is fair to say that healthy people want to live in harmony and happiness. Anyone here want to live in anger and abusiveness? Would you like to live in harmony and happiness? Sure. Well, we want to live in harmony and happiness. And now the question becomes, what causes the loss of harmony and happiness? Next slide, Eunice. It's caused by hurt. You'll catch on to all ages, okay? Not for age club, but different one. It's caused by hurt. When are you hurt? Think about that for a moment. You're not hurt so badly when you have to have cornflakes this morning for breakfast rather than sugar-frosted flakes. You get over that pretty quick. But when are you really hurt? Well, when you are betrayed... When you have made marriage vows in a place like this before God and his people, I will love you and be faithful to you and stand beside you and it doesn't happen. That's hurt. You get hurt when people say things behind your back that are not false and it causes your reputation to plummet. And you just fill in the blank. Where have you been hurt? Well, you've been hurt when you've been betrayed. You've been hurt when you have been brutalized. When someone has said or done something to you. I mean, just listen to Corrie ten Boom. Betsy's skin was like parchment and you were so thin, Betsy. And then there's this man with his leather crop hanging at his side. Fraulein, I have become a Christian. Can you forgive me? I have to, but do I want to? Can we forgive the men who have assaulted us or the women who have assaulted us? Can we forgive? You've been hurt when you've been betrayed, when you've been brutalized. 
Now watch your natural response. Next slide. Natural response is hate. Nelson Mandela, who in his uh, book, Long Walk Toward Freedom, which if you haven't read, I would heartily recommend that you read. Nelson Mandela reflects on how he was betrayed and brutalized. Why? Because he wasn't white in South Africa in the 1960s and 70s and spends over 25 years in a prison cell because he demanded justice. Nelson Mandela said about hate, hate is drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die from it. What happens when you hate? Next slide. What happens when you hate is you enter into a spiral, a downward spiral. I hope you can see that with the red, right? The downward spiral. And you know, you know that police officers know that when someone gets murdered, it is most likely a person in their family or close circle of friends who has pulled the trigger, thrust the knife, or suffocated. So you are going to get arrested, or you're going to die by your own hand, but something happens. It's a downward spiral. Next slide, Eunice. And if you continue in that downward spiral of hurt and hate, it'll go right off the map and it'll become a revolution of anger and self-righteousness directed towards others. Jews will not replace us. You see it in the news all the time. Just watch. Just watch. This cycle of being hurt and responding with hate. Of course, when, when I hurt you and you hate me, what do you want to do back? Well, you want to hurt me back. And then I hurt you back because you just hurt me. And then you hurt me back because I just hurt you. And it becomes a feud. It's like the Hatfields and McCoys. Eventually, someone's going to die. Someone's going to die. And it'll go right off the scale and it will linger for generations. Destructive, abusive, sad. What's the alternative? Next slide, Eunice. The alternative is to stop and have a hearing. To have someone come and listen. Again, in the January series, uh, this past week there was a uh, um, an American uh, admiral, a, a military officer who had been the supreme allied commander of the NATO uh, situation. If you watch the news at all, you know that there's tension between Russia and the Ukraine, and part of the tension is because Ukraine would like to join NATO, the North American Treaty Organization, and the Russians don't want that on their border. Well, this man who spoke was a admiral and the supreme allied commander in Europe of the NATO forces for a period of time. And he says, how do we back down? And he says, one of the things you have to do is you have to listen to each other. You have to understand the hurt and the pain and the sadness and the grief and the extent of the debt. You have to understand and Jesus comes to us, and he sits with us. He teaches us, but he listens to us. 
We ask him questions. Who is my neighbor? We ask, how often do we have to forgive? We ask, what do we do in a situation like this? Or what do we do in a situation like that? And he gives us an answer. He says, follow me. Follow me. And where does he say we follow him to? Well, he says, you follow him to the cross. And you serve as he served, and you suffer as he suffered. Why? Because the kingdom of God comes through an attitude and a direction of service. Nelson, uh, or uh, Archbishop Tutu, just died a little while ago, but he, he led a truth and reconciliation uh, meeting in, or a whole series of meetings in South Africa post-apartheid. There's a story there about an officer, Vandenberg, who was one of those uh, police officers who had abused people because they were black. They used to put car tires around their neck and then light them on fire and watch them die. And, and this officer, Vandenberg, had to come to one of these truth and reconciliation meetings and he had to speak about what he had done and take ownership about what he had done and one of the men who he had murdered his mother was at the meeting and his mother raised a hand and said I would like him to be assigned to come to my house every Sunday afternoon for soup and, and the archbishop said why? she says because I have love enough to share even with him and he broke down into tears. To, to speak truth, to experience truth, is to experience hope of living at peace with each other as much as it depends upon you. And when, the next slide, Eunice, when you hear each other, you can come towards healing. You can come towards letting go. You can come towards coming to a point where you can be reconciled with your enemy because that is where true forgiveness ends up. True forgiveness is not just simply say, yes, I forgive you, and then you do everything you can to avoid that person into the future. No, true forgiveness says, you know what? We were once enemies, but now we are brothers and sisters, and we'll walk together, and that is hard because it demands we swallow our pride and we learn to walk with Jesus. And then, next slide, Eunice, then we come back towards harmony and happiness. And the next slide says that if you live in that big circle, because if you are alive, you'll likely get hurt today. Maybe not assaulted, brutalized, or betrayed, but you're likely to get hurt today, and you can respond with hate, and then you can respond with hurt, and you can live in that small circle of destruction, or you can live in this bigger circle of, yes, I want happiness, but I have been hurt, and I could hate, but I'm going to hear, and I'm going to heal, and I will be restored to happiness. If you need theological terms for this, can I have the next slide? If you need theological terms, well, harmony and loss is shalom. Uh, hurt is sin. Hate is the sinful nature. I am prone by my very nature to hate God and my neighbor. The Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer three. Salvation comes, and notice in that word salvation, there is that word salve, that there is something which brings and speeds towards healing, and then there is sanctification. It is the working out of God's free grace 
in your life. So let me ask, in conclusion, the same question I did at the beginning. How are you doing in your walk with Jesus? Let me invite you to take seriously the Heidelberg Catechism and to be fully determined as much as it depends upon you to live at peace with all. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your grace. It is amazing. It is mysterious and mystifying. It's challenging. We don't always get it. We thank you that in your grace you'll never leave us, never forsake us, always prod us to different behavior, always move us to be fully determined to be like Jesus in every way and shape and form in every circumstance of our lives. We can't do this on our own, God. It's far too hard. We are far too prideful. But with the infilling of your spirit, we can quit grieving you and resisting you and we can start walking with you and then experience the joy and the wonder of love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. So hear us, we humbly pray, and help us to be fully determined to be followers of Jesus in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.